Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my great friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we are pleased to have with us author Corey McComb. Ron, how's it going? Yeah, it's going great, Ed. I'm so looking forward to this. You know, I read Corey's book, I don't know, about a month or two ago, and it just, I thought it was brilliant. And this, so this is going to be a fun conversation. It absolutely is. We're going to welcome, welcome him into the, what we lovingly refer to as the effing debate. We'll explain that to yes. him in a little bit, but <laughs> let me let me bring him on. Uh, Corey McComb is a writer based in San Diego, California, and I love this bio, guys. Wait till you hear this. After being kidnapped by the rock and roll circus at age of 16, he was forced to strum his way across the country and back again. He then toiled as a peon in a parking garages and CD telemarketing pits until becoming an international man of mystery. It's still classified, by the way. Uh, in search of free concert tickets, he moved on to to music journalism and began a steamy love affair with the blank page. Corey now helps uh, people and companies validate ideas, tell their story and launch products. His own writing focuses on the sweet spots in life where human connection, creativity and personal growth intersect. His book, which is the main topic of today's conversation is productivity is for robots, how to reconnect, get creative and stay human in the new world. Welcome to the soul of enterprise, Corey McComb. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I love hearing that intro read out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to tell you, it's the second best bio, I think. we have Our first guest ever was a, is an economic historian named Deirdre McClowski, who to this day still has the best bio. And we'll just mention that and you can read it at another time and you can see if you agree. It's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it ends with who, uh, who, who is a woman who once was a man. So th- that's, <laughs> that's where we're, that, so you really had a high, a high bar. So it's, it's, it's all good. But Corey, I'm going to ask you, start with a meta question here because your book is meta. I'm going to ask you, tell the story of the story of your book. The story of the story of my book. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be the next book. <laughs> You know, the story of the book. So I've been writing, I was writing online for years. And like you said in my bio, I was writing travel writing, um, music writing, different things. And around 2018, I was trying to grow an audience or always wanted to write a book. And at the same time, I was working for a top marketing agency. And I was working remote, I was making money, I was about to get married. And you know, I was about 20, uh, 29 at the time. So it was kind of like all these pieces of my life started to swirl around me, like everything that I'd always wanted. I started making money. People were starting to notice my work and my writing online. And Like I mentioned, I was getting married, but I started to get, um, you know, I got caught up in that, in that rat race, that hedonic treadmill, um, hanging out with other entrepreneurs, kind of, dipping my toe into the hustle and grind culture. And as the world moved faster and faster around me, I started to be driven by this idea that, that I wasn't really keeping up, that I always needed to be doing more. 
And it took about a year of, of working around the clock, trying to ride and kind of grind myself down to this, you know, I felt like a, like a machine where I, I was always falling behind no matter how much I did. And eventually I just hit a breaking point and I, and I was going to sleep at night feeling as if I was constantly letting other people down, haunted by what didn't get done. And I was waking up, walking to my computer already stressed out before I even began. And I started to look around and talking to other friends who felt the same way. I was in some entrepreneurial groups and I realized that, you know, I was competing with robots and that's kind of where the title of the book came from. And I started, and it really sent me on this path to question, where does this need to be productive? Where does this like gnawing urgency to squeeze the most out of life? And, you know, the basic premise of the book is, you know, for every step that technology takes towards becoming more human, we seem to take a step to meet it halfway. And I certainly felt that in myself. I felt that I was feeling guilty if I wasn't optimizing my every move, if I wasn't squeezing out the last strip of focus. And even when I was spending time with friends or family, I had that gnawing guilt that I was, should be working or should be um, getting ahead. So it really made me take a step back and realize that I wasn't going to, like this couldn't continue, it wasn't sustainable. And it sent me on the journey to really investigate, you know, what humans are good at, what are the traits of human nature that can lead us to being more productive and you know, how can we get the most out of life while being productive and find that meaningful work without burning ourselves out like, like robots? Yeah, I, I was reminded of a, a great line as I was reading the early portion of your book. You know, one, one day on my way to bed, I pass myself on the way to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And um, one, you, you alluded to it just a little bit in your answer there, but I want you to expand on this line because this is, this, I think, is the third highlight I made in your book, and it's a fantastic line. Technology was meant to set us free. Instead, we've chosen to imitate it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like the, the gift of technology and automation has given us so much where we're supposed to be able to automate the mundane and the repetitive but when we use these tools, they're only useful if they're actually freeing up time for us to be human and to do the things that technology can't do. And for myself and others, it seems as if we start automating and we fall in love with these systems, we fall in love with these, these tools, and we're just doing it for the sake of using them. You know, uh, it's like, I'm going to use like my Calendly invites so I don't have to go back and forth with other people and that'll save time. Um, but if all you're doing with that time is just to look for the next automation tool, you know, what, what, what are you really doing? And um, movement isn't always meaningful, right? So when we fall in love with productivity for the sake of just being productive or we search for these automations, um, but then we're left with this big open blocks in our schedule that, you know, that's supposed to be the, the free time that we always wanted, Right. Um, but instead, we fill that time with more to-dos, we fill it with more tasks, and I think that that stems from, from not really knowing or taking the time to understand what is the meaningful work that we want to do, um, what is the creative purpose that we're going to be using with this time. Well, that's just it. If I could, one, one thing that struck me or the way that I would, would describe your book is that, that productivity and creativity are not the same thing. 
and 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 we and for some reason we we seem to be letting them uh, con, uh, conflate in our minds that being productive and being creative are the same thing, and it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not to me, and especially you know, you're not going to have your best ideas or those flashes of inspiration and insight when you're when you're looking down the barrel of a loaded calendar every single day, you know if you're just constantly busy or you're just blocking off every hour and you're locked and loaded on focus, 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 that's not when your best ideas are going to come. It's not when you're going to be stressed or looking at the clock. You know, the mind needs time to digest. It needs time to, you know, be open and wander and be idle. And that's a big topic of the book is like creating idle time to create those, you know, moments of insight. Um, but that creativity, that's really what separates us from technology, you know, at least for now <laughs> and, and, and hopefully forever. Um, and that's what humans are meant to do. We're not meant to try and compete with technology and work around the clock. Creativity is going to come when you're relaxed, when you're connecting with other human beings, when you're, you know, walking through nature um, and, and things like that. Yeah, my my personal why is that I, I I believe that entrepreneurs continue the work of creation, and that we we we're, we can't we're not going to be creative by having the latest apps. <laughs> it's not all about the apps. We don't need apps for everything. And one one thing that really struck me about your book was, and it was a, a quote that I had heard a, a number of years ago uh, that said, "If your if your job can be completely taken over by bots, your job pretty much sucks." And we're, 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 we're trying to force ourselves to get our, our jobs to be taken over by bots. And then we don't only to find more bots. It's just this, it's a crazy rat race. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's an important balance to find because, you know, creativity, I, I believe that it does need to be followed up with productivity. So this isn't like an anti-productivity message. You know, once you get those flashes of genius and you're ready to, to put your creativity into the world, there does come a time where you have to do the work. You know, you do have to focus and get things done and use some of the productivity tools that are out there. Um, I think that, you know, for me and, you know, my generation, when you see people that are out there really being able to make money and monetize their passions and start these businesses and, you know, the old world map of just going to college and getting a nine to five job is becoming less and less attractive. And part of that is because it's a lot easier to just start a company or become an entrepreneur and make real money. Um, so I think that a lot, you know, myself and a lot of other people, we see these, these people or these thought leaders going, going, going and creating these things. And it's so attractive. And instead of really being patient and, and tuning into our creativity, we kind of skip that creative process and just try and dive right into productivity to find that movement and to, um, and just to be productive for the sake of being productive, where it becomes, you know, it stops being the vehicle and becomes the goal. Uh, Pittman McGee, who I, I believe is a business philosopher as well as a, a, an ordained minister, said that the opposite of love is not hate, but efficiency. <laughs> I should have put <laughs> that in the book. 
<laughs> yeah, and, well, but you did you did in a way. I mean, one of the, one of the lines uh, that I love is the same habits which make us flawed at efficiency can be turned into strengths at effectiveness. And my note to myself in that book is you were having the internal effing debate. So let me tee that what the effing debate is. Uh, Ron and Ron founded a, a thing called the Verisage Institute a uh, number of years ago, and one of the main threads of a blo- the original blog that we had was this effing debate: efficiency versus effectiveness. And the whole notion is that it, it, you can't, you can't, it, who cares if you're efficient if it's at the wrong thing? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, I, and what your book did for me is help to clarify that, hey, oh, am I spending too much time trying to be efficient on the wrong, the wrong stuff? So um, anyway, r- really good there. I, I've got to leave it. I'm going to let Ron pick up from there because we're up against our first break. Want to remind folks that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. That email is asktsoe at verisage, and the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Corey McComb, the author of Productivity is for Robots. And and as I said, Corey, I just absolutely love this book. We knew I had I knew I had to get you on uh, the show after I read it. And it, it your book is divided into three parts: reconnect, create, and flow, which you say is kind of a circle. And I really like that as as a metaphor. Um, but let me just ask you about this. You wrote without purpose. What good is productivity? And I know later on in the book, you say, you know, you quote from Viktor Frankl, um, who said, what good is freedom without purpose? So what do you mean by without purpose? What good is productivity? Well, I think that productivity without purpose is really what leads to 
people feeling, um, you know, burnt out and spread thin when you're just on that hedonic treadmill where you're just going and going and it's not really adding up to anything. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in my 20s not really knowing what I wanted to do and just kind of going through the motions, trying to get through school, trying to be productive, working a nine to five job that I wasn't really in love with. Um, I just wasn't very interested in life. Um, and I didn't really know what everything that I was doing was really leading towards. And it wasn't until I found writing that I felt that creative spark and that meaning and just that little sense of purpose when I put pen to paper and it felt as if everything that I was doing and doing in my life and learning about, there was a purpose to share with others. And that's what kind of had that light bulb come on my, come on in my head that said, this is the reason that you are learning and growing and your purpose here is to share and interpret and, and tell stories. So, you know, when people I talk, that I talk to are feeling burnt out or overwhelmed or they aren't really sure of where to go next, typically isn't because they're doing too much. It's typically because they're neglecting the one or two things that they kind of know that they should be doing. I think that deep down, we all kind of know, even if it's just a vague sense of what our purpose or direction is, but maybe we're scared to pursue it, or maybe we haven't really taken that time to articulate it to ourselves. So finding that purpose and being really honest, that's what's going to open up, in my opinion, the meaning so that you can be productive. Um, and feel good about the, the things that you're doing. I right. think that, um, yeah, you know, productivity, when, when it's aligned with purpose, it doesn't lead to overwhelm and burnout. And I don't ever want to say, you know, I was very careful in the book and, and in interviews to not say, it's not about working too hard. It's about knowing what you're doing and why. Right. It's, it's really not confusing being busy with being effective or, or purposeful or impactful however you want to say it. The, the other thing that I really liked is, you know, you, you told Ed that we try and meet technology halfway. And that is so true as, as the bots and AI get better, we try and imitate it. Um, and it, I think it was in the eighth habit where Stephen Covey wrote, we can be efficient with things, but not with people. Mm. And I guess my question to you is, why do you think businesses have such a hard time understanding that? We all pay lip service over a relationship business, but you can't be efficient with it. Nobody defines their marriage as efficient. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, I can understand why a business has to look at the bottom line and, and get the, the efficiency up. Um, and it's, and it's just like a hard balance because I think that as humans, we are always wanting to, you know, prove our value to the tribe. You know, we, we are rewarded by being industrious and being productive. You know, that's why we get that Royal flush of dopamine and positive emotions when we put, when we're creative or we get things done and build things. So I think we're kind of wired that way to go, go and go. And then, you know, going back to how, where technology is right now, we can see what's possible. So the stakes are a little bit higher and it's almost takes a little bit of extra time and understanding to really sit back and, and be present with the moment and understand that, that um, being effective is actually much better than being efficient, I, I think. 
right? I kind of think the two are mutually exclusive because you can be you can be highly efficient without being at all effective, but not the other way around. Usually, if you're effective, you're also tend to be efficient. Yeah, uh, I'm really efficient at finding um, things to clean or errands to run right before I have to write a new chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, those dishes over there actually should be washed right should now. Even though I only have an hour to write, I think I can go do that. So I think we use um, this notion to be efficient or busy as a hedge against doing that work that we know that we really want to do deep down. Right. The stuff that's really meaningful. You know, the, uh, you make another point about um, time with other humans, you know, it's a vital part of being creative. And it's, it's, you know, the time we spend with others is not a luxury. It's actually a necessity. Do you think we understand that better now after COVID, after being locked in our houses for a year? I sure hope so. Um, it's something that was probably the biggest lesson for me and the one that was the hardest to learn because I certainly thought that I was doing, you know, my, my due diligence and making the sacrifices that were necessary when I would blow off friends or family to like hang out and just get away from my computer. You know, it, it was surprising to me when I was researching that chapter, I read a great book by uh, Sebastian Younger called tribe. And he talked about, you know, our earliest ancestors and how they were always around other people and how, you know, the earliest civilizations, you know, community and contributing to the tribe wasn't just this matter of, you know, like a, it wasn't like a work-life balance thing. It was a necessity for survival. And when the first big agricultural revolution came along and, and cities grew and then people could, could um, exist as individuals, that really changed everything. And then suddenly people could go days and weeks without even interacting with anybody. Um, but we're still hardwired to be, you know, our, our, our genetics and the way our brain works is we're, we haven't gotten past those, that big, um, you know, it takes 15,000 years or, you know, something like that, the, the, the stat that's in the book for our um, genetic um, changes that take place. So we're still really operating the way those earliest hunters and gatherers were, where we're very dependent, like our emotions, the way we regulate our health, we're dependent on other people. And that's why I say in the book that the littlest things like making small talk with a cashier, smiling to strangers, spending that extra time having a coffee with a friend, you know, even when we're just holding space for someone that has a problem, just listening, even if we're not the ones receiving any, um, you know, advice, something is happening in our bodies and our brains that's letting us know like, hey, we're part of a tribe here. Um, we're part of the human race and we all need each other. And that's how you stay healthy. That's how you stay creative. And that's how you're going to find the meaningful work that you really want to do is by contributing, giving time and spending time with other, with other human beings. Right. You also talk about the importance of play. And I love how you uh, cited, who was it, Timothy Walker, who moved from Boston to Finland to become a, what was it, a fifth grade teacher. And he, th he said that they, what, they have something like three hours a day or something of recess, where in, in the U.S. it's like 27 minutes. And right. that's why they're, you know, so much more relaxed and all of that. And then you, and then you wrote this, and I absolutely love this. In 401k adulthood, many people trade in their dreams for smart goals. Our inner child looks at this like a plate of vegetables. <laughs> and then Dr. Seuss, adults are just obsolete children. 
Yeah, right. How perfect is that line? It's beautiful. Explain that because I love that. The concept of play and how important it is. And it's not the opposite of, of, of work. Yeah, you know, I think that that's probably the most important chapter to me because it's the one that I forget the fastest. You know, it's, again, going back to, this isn't a call against working hard, but for me, when I feel myself burnt out or lost along the way, it's typically because I'm holding on too tight. I'm forgetting to add that sense of play to the things that I do. You know, play can be going out and dusting off the board games or running on the beach like I write about. But it's also an ingredient that you can sprinkle over the work that you do. And I think that play is really an approach that you can add to serious things. You know, you can add playfulness to your relationships, um, you know, to your podcast, to your, to your writing. Um, it's about, to, to me, what it means is remembering that we're, we're all human. We're not here for a long time. You know, we're not going to make it out of here alive, as, as the saying goes. And that when you can add a little bit of laughter and lightheartedness and not hold on to the reins of life too tight, things tend to flow a little bit better. Um, it's, when you, it's when you release some of that control and tight-gripped attention that I think that you really can step into flow and start to appreciate the things that you do a little bit more. Yeah. Ricardo Semler, who's written a couple of great books, says, why do we think the opposite of work is leisure when in fact it's idleness? Yeah. You know, so play is just another form of work. The other thing I love that you talked about is your ability to change your mind and have that open mind and be curious and far be it for me to quote from Timothy Leary, like you did, but wow. He said, you're only as young as the last time you changed your mind. We yeah. did a whole process on that, but I just, a whole episode on that. In fact, it's show number 147, Greg, uh, Corey, what was it like for you? What was this process of going from this productivity paradox or trap you were in to the way you see the world now? Was it a, a slow, gradual process or was it like a BFO, a blinding flash of the obvious? It started with a big blinding flash of, of, of realizing that, that, that I wasn't on the right path and that I was kind of productivity obsessed and that I'd lost sight of what I was doing and why. Um, but then it happened, the rest happened gradually. You know, one of the reasons that the book took, um, took me two years to write the book and going through all these stories in history and taking the time to write it, I really had to internalize these lessons myself in order to write the book the way it should be written, you know, like as a human, instead of some, you know, burnt out <laughs> cyborg, <laughs> um, and the chapter on changing your mind. I mean, that's the one chapter that I wrote. I think I wrote the first draft of it near the end of 2018, early 19, but man, did it get more and more true as, as 2020 went on. And it's, it's a message that, that I try and remind myself of pretty often in, in a world where everyone is so sure of themselves and so quick to quick to point fingers. And, you know, it's really that um, it's identifying with your beliefs that makes them so hard to, uh, to let go of when the time comes. Right. I, it's so liberating literally to say, I don't know. And yet yes. so many of us are afraid of saying that who Richard Feynman said, what the, uh, you know, it's so easy to fool people and the easiest person to fool is yourself. Right. <laughs> that certainty of knowledge. Well, Corey, this is great. Unfortunately, we're up against our next break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. 
check out our bonus episodes and where you can listen commercial free at patreon.com slash TSOE. And that show is now sponsored by 90 Minds. It's a matter of mind. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. The book is Productivity is for Robots, How to Reconnect, Get Creative, and Stay Human in the New World. The author is Corey McComb. Corey, I want to drill down a little bit more on the notion of creativity that you were talking about with Ron. Uh, During the break, we were mentioning that we had interviewed George Gilder, and this is a sentence from your book. You say, technology can never replicate human creativity because codes and algorithms are built on predictions of what's expected to happen. Creativity is the unexpected, which is and that's with in total alignment with what what Gilder is saying. He says creativity uh, always comes as a surprise to us. Otherwise, socialism would work because (laughs) (laughs) because it could be planned, but we can't plan creativity. And the other thing that I want want to get your reaction to is the, the following quote from another mentor of mine who said creativity and anxiety are always inversely proportional to each other. So the more anxious you are, the less creative you can be. Yeah. And and you can't turn on creativity. You can only lower anxiety. That's the only thing that we have the ability to do. So talk a little bit about that. I think that's very much in alignment with your notion of creativity as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest myths of creativity around is that your life needs to have some form of chaos or turmoil in order to be creative. You know, I think that when we are anxious or depressed, I mean, I mean, look, it, you look through history and you can see the tortured artists that have made beautiful work. So it's really easy to just assume that, hey, like 
it's okay to be the, <laughs> the sad, depressed person in the bedroom churning out, um, you know, songs or, po or, or poetry. And I think that there's, you know, creativity. We should celebrate anyone that can use the creative practice to kind of soothe the bad mood or turmoil on their life. But when you look at the artists who are known as these, these tormented artists, um, I would argue that, that they would have been even more prolific and gotten even more work done had they been able to really outrun some of that mental illness, let's call it. Um, because, you know, in my experience, even in writing the book, um, you know, it's one thing to, to feel the, the inspiration that um, a disaster can have. You know, something happens in your life, like a relationship ends, you get fired from your job. I, I, I've, I've experienced those things and I've felt those waves of inspiration where creativity is calling out to me. But then the most important part of creativity is to turn it into action. You still have to sit down and do the work. And if you're out, you know, being living the rock star life where you're always hungover or you're just too depressed to get out of bed, you're not going to ever be the person who actually produces the work. Um, so I think it's, it's very important to manage anxiety, mental illness, and a life of chaos. You have to get those things under control so that you can actually bring your creativity and, and share it with the world. You quote or, or talk about Dave Chappelle, who says, he describes, let, let the ideas drive. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's from an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And, you know, he talks about letting, letting ideas drive. And there is this natural, I think there's like this, this natural human need to justify our, our ideas with logic. Like something excites us. We don't really quite sure what it is yet. And we're like, oh, like that's an idea for, for a business or a book. And then we really want to water it down with our logical brains, you know, as soon as possible to kind of like justify it. But what happens is our subconscious is still working through some of these ideas and it kind of needs time to simmer and grow. And I think that that's what the, the, the top level creatives can really do is they understand how to sit back and not try and take the wheel from the creativity and let it evolve and percolate in their, in their mind. Um, because there's always time for editing or logic and formulas, but it's at that forefront of creativity where we really need to just surrender to that because we don't really understand it. You know, we don't, whether it comes from, you know, universe or God or something you ate, you know, um, we don't know like where exactly where the creativity in our subconscious comes from. And I think that that's okay. As long as we're able to just sit back and resist that need to, to control it. And, and in his inimitable style, Chappelle says, well, sometimes you're in the dry, in the passenger seat and sometimes the idea throws you in the trunk. And right. takes you for a <laughs> but I, I thought, I thought this is an inter interesting transition because my, I'm now, I'm now teaching my 15 year old son how to drive. Awesome. And the, and it's interesting to see how much uh, brain power he has to apply to driving that, I myself as a 30 plus year driver don't have to do it. And it's, and I, and I think in the book called flow a number of years ago, one of the examples of getting into flow that we all experience is driving, which I think is, is pretty interesting have, because we can do it without being fully conscious of it yet be fully competent at it. And I, and I'm, and I've always, I'm always uh, struck by that, that all of us are capable of flow because we can do it while driving, 
We just have to now figure out a way to apply it to other places in our lives to get into that state of flow. Absolutely. It's so, so talk a little bit about flow. Yeah. It's so funny. I remember learning how to drive myself and getting to the point where I was probably 16 or 17. And then I was, I finally reached the point where I could drive for 20 minutes and be like, I think I just forgot I was driving. <laughs> like, you have to kind of get right. used to that. Like, this is bad. <laughs> where was I? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's actually good. <laughs> it's, it's really good. And I mean, it's, I think that part of it comes from, from trusting yourself and, and going through um, getting those repetitions in and being able to detach and kind of let that autopilot take over, you know, flow, flow is something that I go back and forth on. Um, You know, we all, we all want flow, but at the end of the day, I think that just doing the work, whether you're in flow or not is going to be the best way to actually like continuously get in there. You know, the, my favorite lesson in the book about flow does come from the Hemingway chapter where he talks about never emptying the well. And this is one of the first ideas that, that kind of was like a big light bulb moment for me because during my year of burnout, I was constantly draining the well, you know, Hemingway, his writing advice was he all, he worked until he had something done. And then he always stopped when he knew what was going to happen next. He never wanted to empty the well of his writing. Rather he would walk away so that that inspiration was still there in the deepest part of the well. And that way it could refill overnight. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to flow and this kind of like productivity protocol that we get indoctrinated into thinking like, you know, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, you got to leave it all out on the floor. You want to like take that flow for all it's worth, you know, leave nothing behind. But for most of us, you don't really need to do that. You know, for most of us, we want to walk away before that flow evaporates so that it's easy to walk back the next day. Because we internalize, you know, the body and the mind are connected. And when we leave our, work, our desk every day feeling like burnt out, drained, like, oh, I got all the work done. I got all my to-do list done. And now I'm just so tired. You know, that's, incorporate, that's internalizing bad body mechanics. So that when you walk back to your desk the next day, your body's going to remember how it felt when it left before. And you're going to automatically go back in there. Whereas if you feel that sense of flow and instead of trying to strangle it to death and get it for all it's worth, you walk away, you know, like a disciplined Hemingway, that's what's going to allow us to return the next day and step right back into that groove of flow. Um, yeah. No, Cause not, and I think that's a great point because n- not, not every day for us is the fifth or sixth or seventh game of, of the NBA final right. that you have to leave it out there on the court, which, you know, makes sense, but we, we see that and have to take that with it. The recently, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Hemingway had, there's a, 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 a PBS uh, special on, on Hemingway. And the other thing that struck me uh, about when watching that, he also said, I, I like to, I, all I have to start out with every day is one true sentence. Yeah. And yeah. I just love the notion of one true sentence and go from there. I love that documentary. I thought it was fantastic. I learned a lot and I'm, I'm a big Hemingway fan. I'm, I'm not, I have to tell you, I'm not a big, I, I, I like Hemingway. I don't like his writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's fascinating. I'm not uh, old man in the sea. Never did it for me. And I even wrote, re- reread it as an adult, <laughs> but 
Um, but we can go. We go. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. It, it was. It is a, a, a great thing. I think to to never leave that empty. That's such an important message uh, for for all of us. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the, the this one quote that you have. Um, it's a first world dilemma. Dilemma. You say to explore or to be productive. What do you mean by that? I think that you know we all want to have freedom, you know, and we can go back to the Victor Frank Frankel thing, but we all kind of want to be both productive and have that freedom to explore diff- different things. And what I mean by the first world dilemma is it's, you know, our society, you know, like let's say you graduate high school or college and you say, I'm going to go off and, and travel the world for a few years. It kind of comes with a little bit of a finger wagging, warning us like, well, you can do that, but make sure you're productive or have a backup plan or, or start on one path. And the, you know, the inside joke of productivity is that the, the more productive and successful you become in one area, the harder it is to actually go explore other areas, you know, because no one really wants to start over. We, we, once we go down a path and we start building up this wall of success, we start making some money, we're getting these accolades um, it actually becomes harder to, to take a new path as opposed to someone who is just starting fresh. And I think that that can be really dangerous because you, you need to have a wide range of experiences. You want to have like this, this fresh water in your creative well that you're going to get from exploring different things. And that's what's going to really help you be successful in any arena. Um, but yeah, what I mean by that is I think that we all need to be careful of of allowing our success and our productivity to become, you know, bricks in a wall that's going to trap us from exploring and, and, and continuing our self-growth. Another quote that I just absolutely love is, is this, you say, there's an important distinction to make between delusions of grandeur and delusions of possibility. Oh yeah. Unpack that for me. Yeah. That was something that <laughs> I'm glad that that made sense to you. <laughs> I, wrote, I rewrote that quite a few times. You know, it's, it, I read the Steve Martin book, Born Standing Up, and it was such a masterclass in the creative process. And I use him as the example because he, he was delusional. You know, like he knew for his whole life that he was going to be the biggest stand-up on the planet, even though he didn't really have any real-world evidence. So the delusion of possibility is dreaming big, thinking big, like I'm, I'm going to be the biggest stand-up ever. And it's like, why do you think that? I don't really know, but I think it's possible. Whereas delusions of grandeur, I think is a lot more dangerous where you already think you are the best and the biggest comedian or, or anything. And it's like, you're inflating your self-worth. Um, and I know we, we, we need to take a break right now. Um, Finish your thought. It's good. But, um, you know, I think it's important as humans to think big and then barbell that with logical strategy, you know, because what Steve Martin did, he said, I'm going to be the biggest comedian in the world. But he didn't fool himself into thinking he was just going to wake up on that stage. He actually took very calculated, logical steps to get there. He wrote jokes every day. He listened to the audience, what worked, what didn't. He looked for an agent. He took very calculated, small steps to reach that big goal. And I think that, you know, keeping your head in the clouds and your feet planted firmly in reality is the best way as humans to get the most out of life because any algorithm can, like we said, can read the odds, 
can, um, can, can project what's likely to happen. But as humans, we're able to imagine what's not likely to happen and then use um, our logical brains to make it happen. Love that. Great stuff, Corey. Well, thank you so much. Ryan's going to take you the rest of the way home, the last segment. But I want to remind our listeners that the best place to contact Ron or me is asktsoe at verisage.com website, The Soul of Enterprise. Also go to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE, where you can, of course, rate this podcast. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back everybody we're here with Corey mccomb and he's the author of productivity is for robots and Corey, i i thought this i found this to be incredibly thought-provoking you say, when I look back at the mindsets that crippled me into a burned out robot, lack of patience tops the list. Why? Because looking around, it was so clear to me, whether it's true or not, it just seemed like everybody was going so much faster than I was. You know, like the, the highlight reel of social media, um, other authors that I look up to just turning out a book every year. And, you know, it was, 
it was my first book. And I'm really talking about when I write that in, in that chapter, I'm talking about the process of writing the book um, because I would tell myself I'm going to finish this, um, you know, give myself a deadline and that deadline would come and go. And I would just feel that like, oh, like, when is this going to be, when am I going to be able to share this? Um, the calendar is laughing, you know, but I realized and, and, it was the lessons in the book. It was researching these other figures in history that had accomplished the things that I wanted to accomplish that gave me that hope that like, look, you need to slow down and stay true to the vision that you really have in your mind. Um, you know, there's, there's a thin line between being patient and being a perfectionist, you know, when it comes to creativity, because there comes a point for all of us where once you make something, it's, it's going to be time to push it out of the nest and see if it can fly. But if what you're making and what you're working on hasn't lived up to that vision that you have in your head and you really believe in your heart that you can get it there, I think that it's worth um, letting the deadlines pass and really staying true to that initial vision um, because that's what it's going to take to market it and show up and own the work later is when you're really aligned with that finished product. Um, so patience is, that's why it's the human virtue, you know? <laughs> right, right. Now, no, that's such a great point that we look at others, you know, like you said, the highlight reel or, uh, the, you know, I look at somebody like Stephen King and think, well, I'm a slouch. You know, this guy writes 10 books a year or something. It's amazing. The other thing that I really like when you said when we focus on competition too much, not only does that lead to, you know, things getting watered down, replicated versions of what we're competing against, but it's also a fast track toward another human nature landmine envy mm -hmm. explain that well when once once we're envious of other people we start in the comparison game envy is um it's something that i think not only stifles creativity but it kind of adds bitterness and pain to the things that we do because when you look around and you're and you're comparing yourself or you're envious you find yourself battling in a in an arena that you may not have wanted to be in in the first place you know, um, there's, there's authors that I look at and I see their success and I say, well, that, there it is, you know, that must be what everybody wants. If I could just do that, then I'd be where I want to be. And now suddenly I'm trying to be like them. And because I'm not them and I can't be, the work doesn't, the work suffers. And then I just feel envious of their success. Meanwhile, I'm spending my time doing something that I never even wanted to do in the first place when I could have been doing my own thing. Um, yeah, envy envy adds pain to things that should be fun. So, yeah, no, that's a stay away from it. There's so many lessons in that. I, mean, I think of the market share. You know, companies that that are so focused on the competition, all they care about is their market share, and yet companies that don't really care about that, that are more customer focused, um, tend to do a lot better because they're not like you say, their stuff doesn't get watered down. They're actually different. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to be envious if you're truly doing the things that only you can do and that you're able to recognize what makes you special and the gifts that you can uniquely offer. And if you're in line with that and you're able to share that, I think that's going to be the quickest way to, to bypass you know, the, the envious eyes. Right. No, that's such a good point. So envy is such a destructive thing. In fact, I've been threatening Ed for like the last two years. We're going to do a show on envy because it's such, it, it's such a deleterious thing over time if, if you oh, yeah. have that. So this year, 
this your first book. How has it been received so far? You know, I don't have anything to compare it to, but I, you know, I'll tell you, I self-published the book in November and I don't know why, but I thought that I was going to have sold, you know, like thousands of books by now. I mean, I'll just tell you, I have sold a couple thousand books by now and I'm very mm -hmm. grateful and, and it's exciting, but there was a time when it was first getting started where I was, I would wake up and I would check the Amazon, you know, uh, ranks, yeah. <laughs> ranks every day. And I would see like, oh, it'd be like five books were sold, um, five books every day. And I was like, I don't know if that's good or if that's bad. And it was kind of like getting me down. And I remember I was standing in line at the mall, you know, during COVID where they were only letting a few people in like, every store at a time. And I was kind of complaining to my wife about this. And she said, look, she pointed at the five people in front of us at, in line. And she said, that's how many people are getting your book in the mail every single day. And that just totally changed my perspective on the whole thing. And, you know, I talk, I can still talk about the numbers and, and, you know, the economics and, and all that. But what I really think about is like every day I know that someone is walking out to their mailbox that I've never met and they're getting my book and they're sitting down and reading it. And that's really been such an amazing reward. Like just being able to see those numbers and really visualize those humans walking out to their mailbox and getting my book. Um, it's made it all worth it. Um, so the response has been great. <laughs> uh, how about, how, have you gotten any emails or, or and, and let me just ask you, this is really self-aggrandizing, but are we your first interview on the book? I've, I've been, I have been getting a lot of emails, um, positive emails and messages, which, which makes me feel really special. Beautiful. I've been doing a lot of interviews since, since the book came out. Um, but I think that I'll say, and this is kudos to you guys, I haven't had that many interviews where it's so clear that you guys have read the book and taken lessons out of it and, and um, been able to go so deep on the lessons. Uh, I really appreciate it. it. It makes for a great interview. Yeah, no, it, when you're an author, there's nothing more frustrating than because an author can tell right away if the person's read their book or not. You just know because right. you've lived with it for so long. Ayn Rand used to say, I'm with novel. <laughs> you know, and it, 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 it is kind of how it feels. Uh, so you, you wrote towards the end, you're a first time author with dreams of writing more. What's next if, if you're willing to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Another book. You know, I published the book in November and I told myself I was going to give myself like four to five months before I jumped into another project. But once January hit, it was like, I want, I feel good being in a project. I love the long creative process. I feel comfortable there. So I'm working on another book now. Um, it's going to be a work of fiction. It's going to be a series of short stories, most likely. Um, and I just had a lot of fun kind of churning away a little bit from the nonfiction research and just go more into my imagination. But I'm going to write another nonfiction book. Um, my, I'm interested in just sharing stories and information through the written word, and I'm just going to keep doing that. Excellent. Well, hopefully you'll come back when that comes out. Thank you so much, Corey. This has been an honor. Ed, what do we have on store for next week? Next week, Ron, our interview with Charlie Cook. His book is The Conservatarian Manifesto. Uh, the right honorable Charles C.W. Cook, Ed. All right. Uh, sorry. Forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's noon Pacific. But in the meantime, please feel free to visit us at the website, www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success? 